Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. You can be seated. I'm so thankful to be here. I have to disagree, though. She says she wasn't wise, but I'm hearing a lot of wisdom coming out there. Amen. I'm so thankful to be in the house of God this morning. Brother Bird gave us, actually our first lesson, would have been our first lesson Wednesday night, and then Brother Rayleigh and Brother Herndon uh, gave us uh, the other two, and I'm on the last one, and um, it's been a good series, uh, David and Solomon, and she had read read the opening scripture I'm going to read it again in 1 Kings 3 9 it says give therefore this is Solomon asking God he said give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad for who is able who is able to judge this so great a people Solomon was um they say he was the wisest man that ever lived, and Jesus confirmed that in the Gospels. There'd be another one like him. And so I think it's not just his life that was considered wisdom. It was what he left behind, the books he wrote. And, um, and we're going to get into that this morning. William Shakespeare says, The fool doth think he is wise, but the wise man knows himself to be a fool. I remember I was about 17 when I went to work for my dad. And my dad was worried, you know, that I wasn't going to go to school and finish my education and, and do all that. And he was concerned, as a father would be, uh, that I decided not to do that. I was going to go to work and be a drywall man. And after a few weeks, dad said, uh, he said, I was worried about you. You know, you're giving up school and... And just uh, coming out here, he said, but I understand now you was just bored being there in school. You were smarter than the teachers. You, you already knew everything. And so I'm no longer concerned about that. I tell you, they talk about term limits in Washington. I've got an idea. How about we make the term limits in Washington 15 years old to 25 They'll have it all figured out. They ain't none smarter than them. Just put them in there. 15 years old to 25. When you're 26, you're out of here. But you, they, they'll have it all worked out. You ever talk to a 17-year-old? Huh? They full of wisdom. They've got it all together. <laughs> Praise God. Dad said those poor teachers had no idea what they had in their classroom. They had him. A genius is here. A genius is here. Wisdom is a wonderful commodity, commodity to possess, and it is highly commended to us in Scripture. 
when we consider wisdom from the pages of the Bible, one name immediately comes to mind. Solomon. Solomon was assured by God that there would never be another as wise as him. He is the standard bearer for what wisdom looks like in life and, like I said earlier, what life looks like when wisdom is, is later rejected. Gibeon, uh, or Gibeah rather, was the first capital of the kingdom of Israel during the reign of King Saul. It was located in what is now the northern part of Jerusalem and was considered a high place of worship. Solomon traveled there to sacrifice to the Lord, taking over 1,000 animals to offer as a burnt offering to the Lord. 1,000. While there, God spoke to Solomon in a dream that forever changed his life. God can speak to us through dreams, and he speaks to us through other things. All people dream at night. What is known as REM, rapid eye movement sleep. Though some don't remember many of their dreams, the best studies indicate that dreams originate in the brain stem, but the prefrontal cortex or that part of the brain associated with a higher reasoning level that says, ah, no, no, no. That, that part of the brain is not active when we're asleep. That's why some dreams are so strange the part of our brain that tells us it is unreasonable that we would be flying across the country in our recliner with elephants chasing us. You know, that part of the brain is asleep. Come on, you never had a dream about that? <laughs> Come on. For this reason, it is profoundly dangerous to ascribe spiritual significance to every dream one has. You, you know, go to Brother Boyd, Brother Boyd. God's sending me to Europe. Oh, yeah? How are you getting there? In my recliner. I had a dream. <laughs> you're, not, you're not going. God didn't do that. Many are merely, merely a, uh, uh, dreams are just things that, that uh, can, can, can confuse us and can get us off track. Even words of, from other people can get us uh, on the wrong path. Having no connection with God or His wisdom, with the Word of God, not being grounded in that Word can get us off track. We find many, though, multiple examples in the Scriptures of God using dreams to, to speak to people. In fact, this method is specifically promised to us as members of the New Testament church. Uh, Peter in, in Acts chapter 2, 16 and 17 said, But this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, shall dream dreams. In his dream, Solomon and Gibeah, God extended a remarkable, unqualified offer to Solomon. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. Try to imagine the importance of those six simple words. Just ask. I mean, anybody have something in mind? If God come to you and you got one request, just ask and you, I'll give it to you. I, I'd need a minute. Give me a day or two, Lord. 
Anything you want, no limits or boundaries of any kind were presented to Solomon. Whatever Solomon desired was was his for the taking. As for the one extending this offer was God himself. His resources are quite obviously unlimited. The subject to the will of God and our asking with the right motives. Someone recently said in a podcast I was watching, I think it was Brother Joel Urshan, he said, make pure my motives, which I've actually took that and made that my own prayer. Added it to another prayer of mine. Make me, help me feel the way I should feel about this situation. Help me feel the way I should feel about Brother Kevin Harden. Sometimes we might have an ill. You, you can't go off on your own emotions. We need to feel how God would have us feel. And so I've been praying that God help me feel the way I should feel about this situation. We are given essentially the same promise regarding kingdom work. In uh, John 14, 13 and 14 says, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. What a promise. A God able to do anything, offers to do anything we legitimately, legitimately ask, need of in, in advance. Of course, you have to be in the will of God. We know that. This word from God for Solomon was the first time Solomon had heard directly from his creator. He had never, there's no recorded uh, message or uh, any text before this that he had been talking to God. So this is the first recorded time that he had spoken to God, had a conversation with God. It might have been difficult for him to believe such a thing was even happening to him. It would have been easy for him to just discount this as a dream, uh, an imagination. There's no way this is happening. The same dream, I've had this dream before, flying across the nation in my recliner. This is not real. But instead, Solomon embraced it and received God's promise. As children of God, we must be willing to hear His voice, whether it comes through the Scriptures, through our spiritual authority, or by the voice of the Holy Ghost. God desires to communicate with us, but we must be willing to hear Him and be be still and know that's God. Recognize His voice. We've got to get to a place where we can recognize the voice of God and where He's not the only one speaking. More than a few times the scriptures use the phrase, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. When God speaks, it is necessary for us to respond. You must respond. You must respond. Reluctance is rarely an acceptable reply. God requires a proactive response to what he tells us. Solomon demonstrated this truth. As staggering as the offer from God was, Solomon did not hesitate for a moment to make his request known. He responded in faith that if God had extended such a promise, I'm going to tell him what I want. He desired this newly king, crowned king, to express his heart's desire. And so Solomon didn't hesitate. He he, he told him. Solomon could have asked for anything that would have made his life better or more comfortable. He could have asked for a boundless wealth or a military might or a long life. Any of these would have improved the quality of his life. But instead, Solomon was interested 
and improving the quality of the lives around him, others whom he would reign over. He recognized that in his youth and inexperience made him ill-equipped, unqualified to lead a nation such as Israel. The scope of challenges he would face were beyond him. This humility compelled him to make the following quest and request in our first uh, our opening scripture rather. He said, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart. Help me, Lord. I need you. Help me to judge thy people. I need wisdom from God. I, I can't do this on my own. I'm just a youth. I'm just human. I need God's wisdom. How did Solomon have the wisdom, though, to ask for wisdom before he had wisdom? Solomon seems to be already grounded somehow. He seems to already have some wisdom in him. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Now we've all heard this taught about the yoke from every angle. The yoke, uh, the anointing destroys the yoke and, and all of that. But when you begin walking with God, this yoke is, of His is not just freedom. It's not just liberty. The process getting from Egypt to the promised land is not just to liber, liberate you from authority, from any authority but to bring you into covenant with God against a worldly system of authority. The yoke that he's asking us to take on, Brother Williams, is an anchor. It's not freedom. It's an anchor. And so when Solomon, when he reached the other side, or went, sorry, go back to the children of Israel when they're crossing the Red Sea, when they crossed the Red Sea, they began celebrating but that liberty would turn to anarchy without a yoke. It couldn't stay that way. It can't remain. We can't remain in a celebrating stance. That's just not possible. Anarchy would come about without a yoke, without an anchor. We must be grounded and settled in the hope of this gospel. It's not always flying high. It just can't, it's not sustainable. And Isaiah 40 and 31 says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You would think that this verse is, is backwards, but that's not the case. When we first get the Holy Ghost, we are flying high. I mean, we are soaring when we first get the Holy Ghost and it takes a few hiccups to ground us and then a few more to slow us slow us to a steady walk to ground us. So when handed a blank check by God, Solomon, knowing he was not able to handle this request unassisted, reached back to a conversation he had with his father. You can either learn from instruction or by example. I said you can either learn from instruction or by example. But you cannot bypass the lesson. It's coming. I'd rather learn from instruction. It seems that Solomon did just that. He learned from instruction. Solomon would, 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 would write to the book on wisdom later. It may seem at times, fathers and mothers, that, that our children 
aren't listening. They're not hearing your voice. But I want to tell you and remind you this morning to encourage you, Dad, to encourage you, Mom. You just keep pouring into your children. You just keep pouring into your sons. You just keep pouring into your daughters. I know they're rolling their eyes. I know they're torn in their heads. But something is sticking. Something is getting in their spirit. And there's going to be a day like Solomon that they're called in a straight. And they're going to need to give an answer really quick that they didn't come up on their own. But they can reach back to a moment when they was having a conversation with their dad. And they can glean wisdom from what their dad or what their mom gave them. Praise God. So you just keep pouring into your children. He wrote the book on wisdom later. He wrote about the need to incline your need to be yoked so that you're teachable. He may have recalled David's emphasis on the importance of wisdom and allowed that instruction to direct his response at Gibeah. Never underestimate how godly instruction you give to your children will benefit them at critical moments in their life, critical moments in their future. Because Solomon's request was so selfless, God was most pleased. He promised Solomon that because he had not asked for wealth, military might, or long life, God would add those blessings. He'd give them anyway. He'd add those blessings. Time would indeed demonstrate that God kept His word as Solomon's wealth and kingdom took the breath away even from, the, uh, from other leaders. In 1 Kings 10, 1, 9, you can, we can hear that story. But while the, the promise of a wise heart was fulfilled unconditionally, at least one of the additional blessings included a caveat. Now listen to this. It says, If thou wilt walk in my ways, if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father did walk, then... I will lengthen thy days. There's a caveat. You must obey. You must be obedient to my commandments. God tied the length of Solomon's days to his willingness to keep the commandments of God and to walk in covenant obedience to him. If Solomon failed to do so, then God's promises of length of days was not binding. He was not bound to it. We must always be aware of the conditions tied to many of God's promises. He is gracious and kind to extend to us exceeding great and precious promises, what Peter said. But in many cases, those promises have certain stipulations regarding our conduct. If we observe His Word, He will keep His Word. If we do our part, if we will, He will. If we will, He will. Solomon's example should guide us in our response to God's promises. Our prayers must ever be humble Kingdom prayers. I want to be humble when I go into the presence of God to talk to Him. I don't want to go in there high-minded. I don't want to go in there with a ill heart. You ever get mad at God? Is that just me? I didn't get but one amen over here. Well, me and Sister Donna sometimes, we get mad at God. We do. We get a little upset. But we know that's not real. We shouldn't feel that way. So I want to make sure when I come in there, Lord, forgive me. I've got a bad attitude towards you. I know it's not you. I know it's me. Let me get one right here. I need somebody to help me. But Larry gets that way. And I, wanna, I don't want to be that way. I know I'm not supposed to be that way. God is for us. There's favor on me. There's favor on you. 
It is evident that leading a nation as great as Israel would not be an easy task. Solomon knew this, and the fact compelled his request for wisdom. He, he, was, he knew, hey, I can't do this. Money won't help me. A military won't help me. I need more than that. As Solomon settled into this new assignment, God's answer to that request was quickly on display. There was a difficult situation came and presented itself, and it was an impossible one. Two immoral ladies that lived in the same house and each had a child three days apart. The ladies appeared before Solomon with a horrific account. This is a horrible story. In the night, one of the ladies had rolled over on her child and suffocated him. Upon discovering this terrible loss, this grief-stricken lady took her deceased child and placed him next to the other lady while taking this lady's living child and hold him next to herself. And in the morning each claimed that the living child was hers. How could the king possibly determine with certainty to whom the living child belonged? I mean, no military brother junior would have helped you out of this. Not, not enough money would have helped you out of this. God's supernatural investment of wisdom into Solomon prompted him, bring me a sword. Bring me a sword. Divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Undoubtedly, those in the court that day must have recalled in horror at such instructions, but then the king's purpose was revealed. The true mother of the child quickly pleaded that the child be spared. No, just give her to her. No, don't kill that baby. That's my baby. Don't kill that baby. And the living mom had no such reaction as the other lady. It was immediately clear to all present who was who. And Solomon's judgment in this situation demonstrated divine empowerment. And word of his wisdom discernment quickly spread throughout not just Israel, but into other nations. In 1 Kings 3.28 it says, And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. His profound wisdom solidified Solomon's standing as Israel's natural sovereign. None could doubt that this man was God's selected leader for his people. Wisdom. Wisdom is too valuable to be measured. It's too valuable to be measured. For wisdom is better than rubies. This is what Solomon would write later. And all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it in Proverbs 8.11. Given that wisdom is primarily a spiritual commodity, experience alone, nor a book other than the Bible, can provide such wisdom. God will not give us wisdom in the measure He did to Solomon. He already said that. He Himself declared that there would never be another to rival Solomon. But God has given us a wonderful promise to be the source of wisdom in our lives. If any of you lack wisdom... James said, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Each of us should regularly and sincerely ask God for his wonderful gift, for this wonderful gift. It, it will equip us to serve him effectively, and it will help us win souls. Once somewhere Solomon wrote that a wise man winneth souls. And I want to be wise. I want to win souls because at the end of the day, 
That's our number one. It better be. Is to win souls. Win souls. It will equip us to serve him. And win the world. Wisdom that comes from the word. From our spiritual authority. And from the voice of God's spirit living in us. Allows us to make right decisions. Good decisions. That will position us for success in your personal life. Not just in spiritual life. But in your personal life. Solomon's days witnessed both his submission to godly wisdom. And his rejection of it. That's what I was trying to say earlier. There's wisdom from both of that. Not just in his life but in his death. There's still wisdom. That's why I say he's the wisest man that ever lived. I agree. Because it was just in his life, but in his death. We can observe the benefits of wise choices and the vanity and despair of unwise ones in his life. This should instruct each of us to constantly and fervently seek wisdom. Godly wisdom. Not men. Not from man. But from God. Millions of people owe their lives, owe him their lives, but chances are great that you've never heard of this man. Though largely unknown, Stanislav Petros, he's a Russian, exercise of wisdom uh, on a one fateful day in 1983, some of you may remember this, quite literally changed the course of civilization. Many have credited him with saving the world. On September 26th of that year, tensions were very high between the United States and the Soviet Union. Just three weeks previous, the Russians had shot down uh, Korean Airlines Flight 007, thinking it was a United States spy plane, resulting in the death of all 269 passengers and crew members on board. Lieutenant Colonel Petrov was at his post as the duty or the officer on duty that day, the, the command center for the OCO nuclear warning system in Moscow. On that Monday evening, the Soviet satellite system reported the launch of an American, it was an IBM, uh, ballistic missile, followed by closely five more missiles. All the Russian military protocols called for an immediate, massive response strike before the American missiles could hit their targets and render the Soviet capacity to respond. But Lieutenant Colonel Petrov, however, felt that something wasn't quite right. Something was off here. Why would the Americans only launch six missiles when they had thousands at their disposals? What were they doing? And he, he, he wondered that and he pondered that. And so disobeying orders, he delayed long enough to double-check their systems only to learn that he was correct. The alarm had been generated by a computer malfunction. Experts have stated by his actions, Petrov likely saved the lives of half of the citizens of Russia, the United States, and all other NATO countries. Wow. Wisdom allowed this unsung hero to spare millions from the horrors of an all-out nuclear confrontation with nearly none of them even knowing how close the world came to such a horrible fate. I mean, my goodness, they were just... That was you, Brother Junior. You were sleeping sound that night and didn't know how quick you were or how close you were to not waking up. 
While the chances of one of us ever being in such a pivotal position are minuscule, I know. Still, those, each of us faces a collection of choices of equal magnitude. Absolutely. What will we do with our souls or about our souls or the souls around us? Wise man, I say again, win the souls. A wise man, win the souls. Many of us have people in our families, most of us in your families that you have to, my goodness. Anybody have family like I have family? I mean, my Lord. You know, you just, mm. but there's a voice that says, mm, you got to lead them to the altar. I'm going to lead them somewhere. <laughs> but that is our responsibility. We are that light. We are their bridge. How will we respond to Christ? Will we live faithfully for Him? How will we serve His kingdom? Where will we spend our eternity? Oh, these matters are of such significance that we should never consider making them on the foundation of human reasoning or human uh, wisdom alone. Only godly wisdom can properly guide such decisions. I'm here to tell you, I want the wisdom that comes from God. I don't care what's going on in Washington. I really don't. I don't care what's going on up there. My treasures are not laid up. I didn't put them in Washington. I didn't put them in Tallahassee. I'm laying up my treasures in heaven. And that family I'm talking about, I love them all the way to their bones. And I want them walking beside me on streets of gold, singing that song, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. I want them with me. I don't want to do anything that would hinder them, that would give them a bad idea about God. Anybody that I work with, I don't want to put off something bad about God because we are ambassadors of Christ. We are His... When, you, when, when America sends their ambassador to someone else he's, or some, to another country, he's going there to represent America. We're here representing heaven. So we absolutely need wisdom from God because we are in the soul winning business. I know it's, it's not easy. It's not easy winning souls. It's not easy when they're so, um, oh, you know, you know what I'm talking about, but the, the, the hold on, you can't get that peace from the world. That peace can only come from God. He's the peace that passes all understanding. Only godly wisdom can properly guide such a, such a, a, a personality, if you will. To be peaceful, to be calm, and to be deliberate. One man wants to find wisdom as the ability to see life from God's point of view. We all should seek to acquire that ability so we can make every decision of life from the perspective of what God sees. This should be true of all our daily choices we make that affect our families, our careers, our finances, as well as those that impact our lives beyond these shores. If we should see each crosswords from the vantage point of our Heavenly Father, the choices would become much clearer. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Amen? Praise God. I remember, I probably told you this story, but I have a few more minutes. Brother Osborne says, I, I got the, he said, I have the whole hour. 
And so, anyway, I'm just a couple more minutes. Are you with me? I was, I was in a place, I was on my way to prison. I was in jail, and uh, I'd been in jail many, many times, but this time it was, seemed a little different. I've been, on, I've been in jail on my way to prison many, many times. This time was different. There was just something different. I knew I was going. There was no way out of it. And my, I, I'd, um, I'd already received the Holy Ghost in there, and I was thinking that God was going to just open the doors and I was going to go home. And I was just getting frustrated, and I was, I was discouraged. And my dad came to see me, and my dad's the wisest man I've ever known personally. Hands down, there's some in here that would agree. Wisest man I've ever known. And he came and he was talking to me and he said, Larry, I know right now it doesn't seem so. But if somehow if God could just, if he would just pull the curtain back and you could see yourself a few years from now going this way or see yourself if you was to leave here or if you wasn't here and see each way how you would end up. He said, if you had the choice to walk out the doors, I believe with all my heart that you would sit right here and go through it. And here I am today. Here I am today. Those words of wisdom, I held on. I'm still holding on to them. So I want to encourage you. You may be going through a storm right now. And it doesn't look good. Maybe your finances just took a lick and it just doesn't look good. Your health. I don't know what it is. But God knows and you know. But if you if you'll give Him time, if you'll give time, God time to work and Him time to move, you will come through this. I want to encourage you, don't rush through this. Don't get mad, what we were talking about earlier. Don't get mad at God. Don't go blaming God. Something's happening in your life that He wants you to glean up every piece. He wants you to pick up every piece in this storm and take it with you because you need it. Don't, hey, don't let God have to redo this. Don't, be, don't let this be a test that you have to retake. I want to pass this test. If I, I'm going through a storm myself and I want to pass it. I don't want to retake this test. So I'll encourage you, don't be, retake the test. Pass it. Glean everything you can and come through it. We were preaching last week about warring on the floor. I'm telling you, that's where you change history. You can change history warring on the floor. Praying every day fervently to God. God, my son's still lost. My daughter's still lost. He can do something about it. He can change history. And that's what's going on. That's why we're here. We are here to change history, Brother Rayleigh. The saints of God are here to change history. Praise God. Let's stand all across this house. I know we're closing a little early, but um, I was already told I was long-winded, so I'm going to I just rebuke that in Jesus' name. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, Jesus, for your word. 
Thank you, God. Help us, Lord, to glean more understanding today. Help us, Lord, to understand your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts are greater than our thoughts, Lord. We need you, God. In every step of our life, we need you, Lord, there beside us, making the choices for us, God. We pray for the services today that you will be with us, Lord, and you will lead the way in our worship and the preaching of the Word is coming up next. We're praying, God, for a fresh anointing to be upon Him. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say amen. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.